you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to go to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. If you have the New Living Translation, Tyndale, if you have this Bible, it's on page 731. If you don't have this Bible, it's somewhere in your Old Testament. Ezra chapter 3. I, um, full disclosure, I actually intended to preach what has, is now a variant of this message a few weeks ago. And if you were here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say about a month ago, maybe three weeks, um, the, the Holy Spirit just sort of led our entirety of our service in a different direction. And, um, so we didn't, we didn't go to this place, and honestly, I didn't have any, any intent to even preach this. Like, I just had kind of said, all right. But as I got to looking back over it, it's, it's a very different message than it would have been that day in a lot of ways. Um, that's probably for the best. If not, um, I'm sorry. Ezra chapter 3, starting with verse 8, and we're just going to read verses 8 and 9. And we're going to camp out in Ezra for a good bit today, so just keep your Bible open there for later in the service. But let's just read, uh, let's, let's read the word of the Lord and let's pray and uh, let's believe God just that he would say and do what he wants to say and do, right? The construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. Now there's a lot of backstory here that I'm going to give you later on. Um, and some of you know what's happening and some of you have no idea and and for those of you who don't know I'm really excited because one of the things I really like to do is I like to teach the Bible in context I like to open up the word and, and not just hear what it has to say to us now but what it meant then and that's what we're going to do construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem the workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel, son of Sheatile. You have to be careful when you say that one. Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests and all the Levites. The Levites, who were 20 years old or older, were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. The workers at the temple of the Lord were supervised by Jeshua with his sons and relatives and Cadmiel and his sons, all descendants of Hodaviah. I'm not sure that's how it's pronounced, but you don't know, so it doesn't matter. They were helped in this task by the Levites of the family of Henadad. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Father, one more time. Everything that happens today could be done in a lot of ways could be done without us depending on you. We can go through the motions. We can sing songs. We can give speeches 
and, and they may very well be helpful. But God, that is not what we want today. This isn't a TED Talk. Lord, this is your word. And to the best of my ability, I'm utterly and totally dependent upon you today to speak to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Man, it is so good to be with you today. I... Um, I want to take a few moments before I jump into the message and just thank all of you so much for praying for Kristen, my wife, this week. She had surgery on Wednesday, and um, we, I, I, I have gained at least 12 pounds since then <laughs> because people keep bringing us food or ordering food and having it sent to our house, and, um, and they bring and order desserts. Thanks a lot for the brownies last night, Monica, <laughs> wherever you are. I saw you earlier. She, oh, there she is. Uh, sorry, you moved. The cookies, looking at you, Danae. Listen, somebody, I won't name whom, Tara, brought us Dove chocolates the other night. And this is how I work. Like, if I see it, I eat it. So after clearing out half of the bag of Dove chocolates in 12 hours, I threw the rest away. <laughs> I, that's how I have to do it. The brownies are still there, though. Um, in other news, Kristen's doing fine. She's here today. She's on the front row. Some of y'all are like, I stubbed my toe three weeks ago. I don't think I can make it to church. She's, she's here. She's in church. Pastor Randy and his wife Nancy are joining us today. Um, I, uh, I appreciate Pastor Randy. He called me earlier uh, last week, probably Monday or Tuesday, and he said, Hey, I know Kristen's having surgery. If you'd like you know, somebody to preach for you on Sunday, I'm available. And I, and I couldn't tell if like he was offering it because... He like really wanted to preach or if he felt sorry for me or what. Um, but I didn't let him preach. Some of you today, when we leave, you'll think, man, you should have let Pastor Randy preach today. Um, I sure do love Pastor Randy and, and Nancy and they're a blessing to our church. And um, yeah, I, don't, I just want to tell you, and, and if you're watching online, I want to tell you as well, that I love you. Like, I really do. I love getting to do this. I, um, I remember, uh, it was, it's not that long ago, although so much has transpired in the last three and a half, almost four years, it feels like it was a lot longer ago than it was. Kayla's on the front row, God, amen. She's going to shout me down before I even get started. I, um, I remember we had been here for a few weeks, and... Um, we, we, we didn't have a house in Oak Ridge. We lived about an hour away. And so I was commuting pretty much every day, about an hour's driving. For some of y'all, that's not a big deal, but for me, it was a big deal, especially because my car didn't have air conditioning in it. So um, I'm glad that thing's gone. 
I, uh, I, it was a big deal. And then we would leave on Sundays. We would wake the kids up, and they would still be in their pajamas, and we would carry them out to the car, you know, like the dead limp carry. And, and we'd put them in their car seats, and they would sit like this. And then we would drive, and it would still be dark when we got here because in that time, um, I was leading worship. And by leading worship, I mean I was beating a guitar and having other people sing songs. And uh, thank God for Don. And um, I guess Lindsay. Mostly Don, though. Um, Lindsay's birthday's coming up this week. Yeah. Don't clap for that. <laughs> and I remember, you know, it was, it, was, it was great because it was an answer to prayer, right? But how many of you understand that almost, rather a lot of the problems that you have to deal with today are because God answered a prayer that you prayed? Does that make sense? So I prayed and asked the Lord, God, I feel, and I, be, it, I believed in February of 2017 that this is where we would be. Not everybody else believed that. <laughs> where you at, Jonathan? Yeah. But I did. And I believed it with all of my heart. And, you know, fast forward 10 or so months, and God had answered that prayer fully but there were so many things that were in that moment considered problems have you ever been going through a season in your life and you just feel like you're kind of getting hit from all directions right I mean I'm asking you this I know you've gone through those seasons chances are statistically you're probably in a season like that right now because isn't life ultimately just a series of problems I mean let's just be honest right Jesus promised us, in this world, you will have problems. You'll have trials and sorrows, right? So thank you for that one, Jesus. <laughs> Could have left that out. But I remember, I want to say it was probably October of 2017, and, and it was just a lot of problems. And in my office in the other building, I've got, I've got a small little restroom in there. And honestly, just to be real with you, like when I came here, it was like, Ha-ha, I've got a bathroom in my office. What's up now? Like, I have arrived, you know? And, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, a lot of jokes, but none of them are appropriate. So I'm just going to keep them up to myself. But I remember, you know, I was, I, was, I was using the facilities one day. And there was water on the floor, and it wasn't for me. I didn't do it. Samuel, I feel so offended by my inappropriateness right now. Pastor Randy would have done way worse than this. If you were at the marriage conference, you know there's no filter on that man. And I remember looking at the floor, and there's this little puddle there. And then I look up, and there's drop tile, right? And there's like a bowl coming out of the drop tile, like this. At which point, I had a panic attack. 
So, so like I say, have you ever been going through a season in life and then there, there's just this moment that something happens? Had the thing been an isolated event, it might have been a problem, but it wouldn't have been a nuclear issue, right? It was in this moment that I began to, um, I think the scientific term is, throw a hissy fit <laughs> at God. I had no idea where the water was coming from. I am, I am not skilled or knowledgeable in the world of construction or maintenance. I know how to run a saw, sort of. I have a scar on my leg that would say otherwise, but I know how to, I really do. Like, for real. I'll tell you the story later. But, but I, I, some of you are like, oh my gosh. Um, I'm not that smart, don't say amen, with, with things that involve buildings and pipes and wires, right? And um, so I got Pastor Allen, and we started inspecting it, and I'm nervous. I'm like, what is this? What is going on? And we discover that there is a water heater above my office, and it's, uh, it's one of the small ones, and um, it's, it's, it's leaking pretty significantly, obviously. And apparently it had been doing it for a while, but just in the recent history it had gotten worse, now remember, I'm, I'm an hour away from my home. I'm an hour away from a towel. I'm an hour away from dry clothes, specifically socks. There's nothing more miserable than walking around with wet shoes slash socks, right? I mean, like, that is the worst. And, and, and so we get to inspecting this, and apparently the, the water heater had been up there a while, and the pipes were not in the best of shape, and before I knew it, the entirety of Oak Ridge water pressure systems, whatever, was flooding into my office bathroom, all over Pastor Allen, and all over me, and, and I broke. I ran outside, I called Kristen, I said, we're done. This is terrible. This is the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of humanity. Now looking back on it, you remember the phone call? Now looking back on it, looking back on it, I overreacted. But I had had it, right? Like it was just, it was all these things. And then now I'm wet. And my wife and my clothes are an hour away. And, and what's worst is we have no idea where the water shutoff is. And so we start, Pastor Allen's working safety right now, I think. So we start walking all around the property. It's a, it's a lot of property. We start going everywhere. And the whole time, he, is he right there? Oh, yeah, shut up, I'm getting to that. Don't preach my sermon. You want to get up here and do it? You better stop laughing, you're going to hurt yourself. My gallbladder's going to grow back if you keep laughing like that. And anyway, so about an hour later, and I might be exaggerating, but it is my sermon, so hush. 
We find it, and it's literally two feet away from my office. And it's labeled Water Main with big, bold print. I can show it to you right after church. And by this time, like, it is ankle-deep water pretty much everywhere in the bathroom in the office area, even though we had taken our shirts off and stuffed them in the pipe. It was that serious. And looking back, it's hilarious, right? I mean, it really is. And everything turned out fine. There is no hot water in my office today. Sorry, but I'll live. Um, because, and I didn't want to, I just, just, you know, whatever. Um, it, it wasn't a huge issue, but it was really inconvenient. And in that moment, though, it was just devastating, right? It was like that, you know, proverbial cherry on top. It, every, I'm just... I'm just done. It's just like every little thing, and now i got to drive home wet, or maybe you brought me clothes. Either way, I had to wait an hour or so for, to get the I think you checked the girls out of school just to go ahead and leave now, right? It was just one of those moments where I was done. And, and I just want to tell you today that the, the process of progress in our life is often a, a painful one. In fact, I would submit to you that it's always a painful one. And that that while God may answer your prayer today, eventually there will come a time and there will come a season when that answered prayer will become a problem. You see, us being here in October of 2017, if I told you the whole story, if you don't know it, you would agree, and those of you who do know it, if you'll remember, it was, it was honestly, it was very miraculous, and it was, it was the hand of God throughout the entirety of everything, and, and, if, and it really did build my faith in those times to see how God had, had, had done what he did, and had I not went through what I went through in the summer of 2017, I think by the fall of 2017, I straight up would have lost my mind. But I had seen God come through in other situations. I had seen him answer prayers in other situations. And so it it helped me in those moments, even though I did kind of, you know, go crazy. But I am a human being, as well are you. It it helped me to have faith that if God answered this prayer to get me to this place, then then I am on the road. I am in the middle of, of process to progress because God is doing something not just... And not just here, but like I had to understand that he was doing something here. And I think Zerubbabel, and we just read this in Ezra. I think him and his crew, 2,600 years ago, may have had some similar feelings. The year is approximately 600 B.C., so we're approximately 600 years before Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, and the time of exile is coming to an end. Now, if you're unfamiliar with your Old Testament history, uh, if you were to read the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah even, you would see a lot about exile, even into, I believe, Second Chronicles. It would help you understand what had happened is the Babylonians had came in and, and taken many of the Jewish people back to Babylon. Eventually, Babylon was conquered by the Persians, and you've got 
King Cyrus and eventually King Darius. And if, The book of Daniel is probably the number one book I would go to to help you understand uh, some of what was happening during this time in the history of Israel. And now Cyrus is the king of Persia. He's the one that came in and overtook Babylon. And he is beginning to allow some of the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. And Zerubbabel is the man who has been assigned leadership of this role. And Zerubbabel had great intentions, but I would like to submit to you uh, uh, something that he did wrong that honestly I do wrong and you probably do wrong a lot as a child of God is that we, we operate out of our own strength and intellect. And I would, I would submit to you this idea that we are spiritual beings who possess a soul and occupy a body. And a mistake that we often make, or let me say it like this because I don't want to put this on you. A mistake that I often make as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a person, is that I do not rely enough on the Holy Spirit. I don't, it, 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 it's like, it's, it's often absent from my way of thinking that I need to go to him instead of try to fix it myself. And what happens is we depend on the physical and intellectual for what can only truly be accomplished in the spiritual. And so, so in, the, in the process of progress, you just need to own the fact that opposition is a given. Opposition will come, right? You see, for Zerubbabel, it was actually an answer of prayer that they were able to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple. In fact, it was, it was a, a huge answer to prayer because King Cyrus had actually offered to pay for much of the construction to rebuild the temple that the Babylonians years earlier had destroyed. However, in, in the answer to prayer that they found, politics and power struggles, that sounds like a headline out of the news today, right? They caused the rebuilding of the temple to come to a standstill for 17 years. Some of y'all ain't even 17 years old yet. You see, people who were eventually, uh, originally supportive of the idea of rebuilding the temple, they, they lost interest. Isn't that how it goes sometimes, though, like, with people? I mean, we're so fickle, right? You know, however much sleep you got, what you had for dinner last night, what you had for breakfast, it, it affects so many things about the way we operate, the way we see, the way we feel. And people who were originally supportive, once real work had to be done, they kind of lost interest. Persia began to withdraw its support because of these political situations, which led to overwhelming financial struggles. I just want to tell you today, I have bad news for you. <laughs> That's not usually what the preacher... I've got good news today. I've got bad news. But I've I got real life news. In, in, the, in the process of progress, you will face opposition. You're going to fail. Oh, that's good preaching. <laughs> You're going to fail. You're going to try to do something and you won't succeed. You're going to try to lose 15 pounds. 
and you're going to gain five. Somebody's like, please don't speak that over my life. <laughs> but how many of you know what I'm, did you know that two out of five Americans gained 30 pounds last year because of the shutdowns? <laughs> I feel that. I mean, like, I really, I feel that everywhere. In my soul. That was funny, wasn't it? That was good. You're going to try to do something and you're going to fail. You're going to try to open a business and you're going to fail. You're going to try to live by budget and you're going to fail. You're going to, you're going to try to pay off something and you're going to fail. You're going to try to save up for something and you're going to fail. You're going to try to get a job and you're not going to get it. Like there's going to be things that you're going to hope for, that you're going to try for, that you're going to attempt, and it's just not going to work out. Guess what else? I've got more bad news for you. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to... You're going to at different times, you're going to do the wrong thing. You're going to, you're going to, how many, maybe this doesn't happen to you, but like, you're going to be in a situation and you're going to say something and then later on you're going to say, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Does that ever happen to anybody besides me all the time? Brooke Martin, stop lying. You're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. Somebody's going to say something about you that's unkind. And they're going to say it with the intention of you never hearing about it, but it's going to get back to you. And it's going to sting. You're going to feel lonely. I, I, I think, honestly, if you ask me, what's the, what's the greatest weapon the devil uses to, to hurt men and women of God? I think the number one thing is that our thought life. I think, I think that's number one thing. And I think number two, and this is, is isolation. So in the process of progress, you're going to fail, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to get hurt, you're going to feel lonely. And, and, and sometimes life is just going to happen. And you're going to ask yourself questions like, did God cause this? Did God allow this? You might even, I mean, I've asked this. If God is good and God loves me, then why? Why did he do that? Or why did he let that? And as life happens, as you fail, as you make mistakes, as you get hurt, as you feel lonely, you'll be tempted to adopt the I just call it the coulda, woulda, shoulda syndrome, right? Coulda, woulda, shoulda. This is what Ezra goes on to say in verse 10. He says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, they clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord. See, Jonathan, you're just like a Levite. Honestly, I, had to, I just had to say this. There was two times during praise and worship today where I literally had the thought, man, I'd hate to be a drumhead right now. You know what I'm saying? Bro, that's what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> verse 11, with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. 
his faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temples, the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Now this is good, right? This is not a bad thing. It, it could have been really good, though, if their focus was on what God was doing versus what God was not doing. And, and I, just, I just had this thought, like, at least for my own life, how many good moments in my life have I allowed to be ruined because they weren't perfect moments? Oh, man, like, I just, I, I feel like that is a word for me today. <laughs> How many times in my life have I missed out on the good because I was obsessed with the perfect, the unattainable? If you went on to verse 12, this is what you would see. Many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders, who had seen the first temple, the, uh, the, the temple that Solomon had built, they wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. Because, and this is my interpretation, because they remembered what was and what they saw before them did not even come close to measuring up to what was. They began to weep. And this new temple would be nothing compared to the temple that had existed before Solomon's temple. Can I just say like this? Comparison is such a jerk. It robs me of peace in the present. It robs me of joy for the future. And it robs me of gratitude for the past. I hate comparison. And I, like, I think to myself, sometimes I wish I could go back three, four years to that brand new pastor. And, and you know, I'm going to be able to say this in five years from now. I wish I could go back to 2021. You know, I think that's just kind of how we do, right? If I knew then what I know now. Yeah, I would have prayed more. I would have listened more. I would have certainly talked a lot less. I certainly would have done my best to not let Satan steal my peace. I would have been a lot more thankful for what I had and less focused on what I didn't have. But, you know, like the old saying is, you don't know what you don't know till you know what you don't know. I don't know how old that is. I just, I, I say that. <laughs> Go back to verse 12. Many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. I love those others. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard in the far distance. Here, if you, if you don't write anything else down, write this down. Take your phone out, put this in your notes, whatever. I don't think it's on the screen. It might be, but I don't think it is. Here's the bottom line. I cannot change what was. I cannot change what is. But I can change what will be by doing now what I wish I had done then. I can't change what was. I can't even change what is. But I can change what will be by doing now what I wish I had done then. 
It's okay to weep. It's okay to cry. Just make sure your, your praise is just as loud. Make sure that your praise outlasts your complaints. Make sure that your worship outlasts your worry. Come on, let's go preaching. Where y'all at today? And you might, if you'll do this, you might just discover that living for God, the greatest greatest offensive weapon that you have in living for Jesus and and, and having peace and having joy is your praise. It is your worship. I mean, what, what greater discouragement could you offer the devil that when he gives you every reason to complain, you lift up your hands and begin singing his praises? What, what greater discouragement could you offer the enemy of your soul that when life happens and you feel lonely and you feel isolated and you have every reason and every right to be angry and to complain and to be worried and to allow those things to impact you, but instead you lift up worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Zechariah 4.6. I've quoted this like three Sundays now. Um, but I, I want to give you the greater context of it. This is a verse that I heard all the time after I became a Christian in our church. It was kind of one of those, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't think there's anything in the Bible that's cliche. But, but it was one of those verses that got said almost every Sunday. It's sort of like, this is one of our go-tos. When we say this, we get happy, Right? And this is what it says. The Lord said to me, or this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. Now, now Zechariah is a prophetic book that actually runs uh, somewhat parallel to the book of, of Ezra in your Bible. They're not located next to one another, uh, but, but they, they, they have a lot of commonality between the two. And so... So you read, you read that verse, and the first thing I want to point out to you, and I was actually thinking about this uh, while we were singing, but this isn't in my notes, this isn't what I was really thinking about, but have you ever, have you ever tried to, have you ever tried to, to work out? Have you ever tried to, oh, I don't even want to say this word, run? You know, like when you first start doing it, it, it's difficult. When you first start working out, it's difficult. Anybody do that stupid stuff? I think it's called CrossFit. (laughs) You don't do CrossFit anymore. Do you? A little bit? Like if you have to swing your... I offended Chad. He's leaving. I picked on CrossFit. I'm sorry. (laughs) Love you, Chad. (laughs) Things you should... If I could go back, I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) He's going to send me a text later. I'm... We'll see what that says. Anyway, my, my idea of CrossFit is if you have to do a kipping pull-up to do a pull-up, then you don't even need to try to do pull-ups. That's not how you do pull-ups. That's how you break your back. Anyway, but, but like when you first start running and you first start working out and, you, and you're doing things that, that, that are difficult, the reason why they're difficult is because your body needs oxygen and you are depleting your body of the oxygen it needs to, to restore energy to your muscles that are doing the action. So, so in, the, in the Old Testament, a lot of, when you read the word spirit in reference to the spirit of God, it is the Hebrew word ruach, which, which literally means to, to, to be the breath or the life force of God. Now, imagine that you are trying to run at full speed 
uh, for a mile, but you hold your breath. I mean, obviously, you couldn't do it. You probably couldn't run out of this building at full speed if you were holding your breath because your body is absolutely and utterly dependent upon oxygen to operate and to function normally. Well, what happens is a lot of us, man, I feel the Holy Spirit in this. A lot of us are living our lives ruach depleted because we are not and we have not realized just how dependent we are. If you'll go back to Genesis, you'll see that as God formed humanity from the dust of the ground, what did he do to give Adam and Eve life? He breathed. He ruached into their bodies and they became alive. And a lot of us today, we live in a constant state of struggle. Now listen, I'm not saying that problems don't occur because they do. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you read your Bible. You will have problems. The difference is, are problems going to have you if you are dependent totally dependent on the breath, the ruach, the life-giving force of God Almighty. God said, it's not by force, it's not by strength, but it's by my spirit, it's by the life that I give you. And if you thought verse 6 was good, wait till you read verse 7. I never heard this one quoted in church. I don't know why. It's pretty good on its own as well. This is what verse 7 says. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. And what we're reading in Ezra is the middle of the process. The foundations were just being laid. But God said, when I am done with this temple, the people will shout with praise. There will be no more weeping this time. In other words, there will be opposition. There will be shoulda, woulda, couldas. But God gets the last word. Secondly, in the process of progress, opposition becomes opportunity. 60 years later, 60 years later, there's a new king and the temple still isn't built yet. How many of you know new king, but same God, same promise, right? So Ezra chapter 6, and I'm going to summarize some of this. Verse 1 says, so King Darius issued orders that a search be made in the Babylonian archives, which were stored in the treasury. And this is a summary of verses 2 through 5. He sees the old decrees from Cyrus saying that the people will be released to go and rebuild the Jerusalem temple. And so if you pick up with verse 6, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture here. I know a lot of times when we read scripture, it's kind of easy when somebody else is reading it to tune out. But I want you to follow along with this because I think it is so profound that you see the intricacy and the detail that God is working into this. This is what verse 6 through 12 says. So King Darius sent this message. Do not disturb the construction of the temple of God. Now remember, King Darius is not a Jew. He is not a faithful follower of the one true God. 
But he is being influenced right now by the Holy Spirit of God. He says, don't disturb the construction of the temple. Let it be rebuilt on its original site and do not hinder the governor of Judah and the elders of the Jews in their work. Verse 8, moreover, I hereby decree that you are to help these elders of the Jews as they rebuild this temple of God. You must pay. Listen, hear the blessings of God that came out of this opposition you are, you are to uh, pay the full construction costs without delay from my taxes collected in the province west of the Euphrates River so that the work will not be interrupted. Verse 9, give the priests in Jerusalem whatever is needed in the way of young bulls, rams, and male lambs for the burnt offerings presented to the God of heaven. And without fail, provide them with as much uh, wheat, salt, wine, olive oil as they need each day. Verse 10, then they will be able to offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the welfare of the king and his sons. Those who violate this decree in any way, this is pretty insane, will have a beam pulled from their house. Then they will be lifted up and impaled on it. And their house will be reduced to a pile of rubble. In other words, don't mess with those people building that temple. Are you? It's going to be bad. Verse 12, May the God who has chosen the city of Jerusalem as the place to honor his name destroy any king or nation that violates this command and destroys this temple. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be obeyed with all diligence. Man, there's a story. I probably need to hurry. Do I need to hurry? No. Somebody nodding. Yes, I don't like you. <laughs> it is a story. I'm going to mess it up. Should have rehearsed it, but I didn't. And um, I'm kind of regretting even bringing it up right now. But um, there's, this, there's, this, there's this lady. She's, she's a widowed lady, and she, she, she doesn't have a lot of money, and so she goes outside on her porch every morning really early in the morning and she prays every morning her neighbor is an atheist and he gets woke up every morning early because she's out there praying and and one day she wakes him up praying and he hears her out there praying and and he hears her prayers she's praying that today she would get food she hasn't had food in her house for a long time and she's getting hungry she doesn't have any groceries, she doesn't have any money, she doesn't have anything, she doesn't have any way to pay for anything. She's barely making it. And this atheist man who is so tired of hearing this woman pray and being woken up by her every morning, he decides, you know what, I'm going to show her. I'm going to show her what's up. So he goes to the grocery store and he buys all kinds of food. He buys everything you could want, enough to get by for a couple of months. And he, and he leaves it at her doorstep and she's gone and He's out there waiting, and he sees her get there, and, and he, she sees the grocery sitting on her front doorstep, and she begins to praise God and thank God and for, for providing miraculously. And he jumps out from behind the bushes, and he says, Aha! God didn't give you that stuff. I bought those groceries and gave them to you. And at that moment, she lifts her hand. She says, Thank you, Lord, for providing, and you made the devil pay for it. <laughs> That's kind of what happens here in Ezra. How many of you know there's going to always be opposition? After every victory you get to celebrate, there will be another battle to endure. 
But if we go back to verse seven of Zechariah, God uses those oppositions to create opportunities. Great mountains become great plains. Great tests become great testimonies. Great messes become great miracles and great opposition becomes great opportunity. We often think that the opposition is sent to break us, right? But God wants to use the opposition to make us. I'm truly convinced. I believe this. I don't always live this, but I believe it and I, and I strive to live it. Is that, is that God's will for my life is that I actually live in a state of dependency on him. That if, I, if, if I'm living in, in such a way, if I'm, if I'm operating my life in such a way that I don't need him to come through for me, that I'm living far short of his will for my life. I've also learned that most of us don't do this willingly. It's almost like sometimes God forces us into those situations where we have to depend on him. You see, in the process of progress, what was comparison becomes confidence. I love this. Zerubbabel's temple, it would not measure up to Solomon's temple. It wouldn't have as much gold. It wouldn't be as big. It wouldn't be as ornate. It wouldn't be as expensive. It wouldn't be as pretty. Two of my favorite pastors that I listen to online, Craig Rochelle, these are worth writing down. Craig Rochelle says that comparison is a thief of joy. Stephen Furtick, another preacher that I like to listen to, he says, stop comparing your story to somebody else's snapshot. I, um, I can show you my vacation photos that we took from last summer. Now, if you follow us on social media, you very likely have seen them. And if you're a parent, you understand this. Those, those pictures of Magnolia, our youngest, they look so precious. But there was a world of chaos involved in getting those pictures taken, right? You see the, the perfect background? Yes, yeah, because we took 800 pictures and we only kept 40. But, you know, but we do those kinds of things. We see things on social media or... or if you use Pinterest, you see those crafty things that you wish you could do, but you can't. You think, see people's perfect lives on Instagram and Facebook. And those are all snapshots. They're not the story. highlights so when you compare your story to their snapshot yeah it's going to make you feel bad but there's so much more to the scene that you don't see so what's the source of my confidence what's the source of your confidence it's not 
my intellect. It's not my ability. It's not my education. It's certainly not my appearance. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. Not by might, not by strength, but by the life-giving Spirit of God Almighty. He says in another place, for God, this is Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you. Don't that make you feel good? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. If you've, if you've been struggling lately, if you're just waiting on the water heater to explode above your head <laughs> and for you to lose your cool and to just feel like everything's falling apart, I just want to encourage you today that 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 while Jesus doesn't give us any promises about taking us out of problems, he, he does promise that He'll always be with us in the middle of problems. And that His strength is not meant for you to use as a crutch when all else fails. His strength is for you to use every day in every situation in all seasons and in all circumstances. But that's what, we don't do that enough. We, we wait, we'll say, well, everything else has fallen apart. I guess all we can do now is pray. How many of you understand that the prayer, I'm preaching to myself again, it needs to be a, a first response, not a, not a last resort, right? Zerubbabel's temple, it, if you could go back in time and see it, it was actually eventually destroyed by the Romans in the first century, not too long after Jesus ascended into heaven. But if you were to compare it to, to the, the temple of Solomon, it, would, it, would not, it wouldn't hold water. It wouldn't be the same. It would, you would understand why those older Levite priests, you would understand why they began to weep. You understand why they were sad because they knew what was and now they're faced with what is and it's just not as good. The thing that they didn't know in 600 BC though is that as they were praying for the Messiah to come, that that temple that wasn't as good, that that temple that wasn't as big that, that temple that did not have anywhere near as much bling on it as the first temple did, that it would actually be the temple that God incarnate in Jesus Christ would go to and minister in and preach the word in. It would be that temple 
that God himself in flesh would visit and be part of. And if they could have known that when they built that temple as the foundations were laid, if they could have realized that God was not a respecter of the size, he wasn't a respecter of the gold or the extravagance, he was just a respecter of the space. He just needed a space, a place to go, right? And if they could have known that Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, he's going to come here. And he's going to say in this temple that this is the year of the Lord's favor. That blind eyes are open. That the gospel is being preached. That the captives are being set free. That those in poverty are finding a way. If they could have understood that that was going to be the place that the one that they were praying for was going to come and visit, I think they would have felt different. Romans 8, would you stand with me? Romans 8 verse 11 says this. And I just want to tell you today, we don't have a temple. This building, I like it. I'm appreciative of it. I say I like it. A lot of times I really don't. But I'm appreciative of having the place. But this is just walls. People, people will joke around during our Easter egg hunt. Somebody said something and they said, well, this, we're, we're at the church. You better not say this. Let me just say this. If you can't say it at church, then you don't need to say it, all right? But anyway... You know, they, they, we, we, we act like that there's something special or significant about, you know, this sheetrock and this floor and this stage. I don't care if your church seats 50 or 5,000. It's just a building. But you are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as he visited that temple that Zerubbabel was in charge of building 2,000 years ago, today he is alive and well. And he wants to make his home in you. He wants to live he wants to remind you that what you feel like might be breaking you, it's making you. He wants to remind you there's no need uh, uh, to live in the past and the coulda, woulda, shouldas. It's today. Today is the day of the Lord's favor. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice in today and be glad in it. And let's start doing today what we know we should have done then. And he would say, stop comparing your life and your story to the snapshots of those around you. He loves you and he lives in you just as much as he lived in the Apostle Paul, just as much as he lived in people like John Wesley or Billy Graham, Craig Rochelle or Stephen Furtick, the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and me. pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you speak to us, that you minister to us, and that you are working in us and through us. And today, Father, if there be anybody in this room who would say, Pastor Drew, 
I need a fresh filling of the Spirit in my life. If there's anybody today with every head bowed and every eye closed, but you would say, Pastor Drew, I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. Would you just raise your hand high in the air? Raise it high. Raise it high. I need, I need it fresh. I need it new. I need to be able to, to be strengthened beyond my own capacities. To see my oppositions as opportunities. Thank you, Father. As we sing for a few moments this morning, as we enter back into a time of worship, if you just raise your hand or if you should have raised your hand, if you... And, and I know sometimes we struggle with how to word this, but today you just know that you need something from God. And if that's you today as we sing, as we worship, I want to invite you to join us around this altar. And we're going to pray together with you. We're going to pray.